The title of my message today is The Right Light. There was a survey sent out to different pastors of different denominations, and they asked this one question. How many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Okay, so the Pentecostal pastor replied, well, that's simple. It takes 10 people, one to change the light bulb, and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. Amen. The uh, Presbyterian pastor said zero. It is already predetermined when the light will turn on and when it will turn off. The Catholics said zero because we only use candles. And the Baptists said 15, one to change the light bulb and three committees to make sure he did it the right way. Now, if you don't understand that joke, God bless you. And if you do understand that joke, we will pray for you. Amen? Speaking of that, let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would bring new light about your light in our hearts and in our minds today. God, we're so grateful, Lord, for your word. We're so grateful that you decided to communicate yourself, your attributes to us through the Bible. And God, as we read the Bible today, I pray that we'd read it with confidence, knowing, God, that you desire for us to understand this word and to apply this word. So God, may we understand our part and may we see, God, that our duty is to receive it with a glad and generous heart, but also give us the grace, the endurance, the patience to be doers of the word, not just hearers only deceiving ourselves. So we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody says, amen. Amen. Before we jump into this, I want to give you one quick announcement. Uh, tonight, we are starting our heart and soul class. This is what a lot of people will call membership class. If you're somebody who's new, kind of been coming to our church the last six months or so, we like to offer this membership class. And so it's tonight at six o'clock. It's actually at my house. So there should be a red card nearby. Just fill that out and just mark membership. And then we will send you, text you, email you, whatever contact information you give us uh, our address uh, about tonight. It, there will be food. So we need to know who's coming and how many are coming so that we order appropriately. And it's going to be a good time. One more thing. It is two sessions. It's this Sunday night and next Sunday night. And it's not a, because you showed up, you are now a member. It is a, hey, here's what we are. Here's what we believe. Here's what we do. And then you have the decision, however long you'd like to take, um, if you want to become a member to then take that next step, which we'll talk about. So I want to make sure you guys know about that. That is heart and soul. And honestly, we have so many announcements. We have so many great things going on in the next month or so that I had to include this announcement here because then I have three more at the end of the service altogether. It was spring. Of 2009, I was coming home from a conference with a mentor. He was my youth pastor. In fact, you guys have seen him before, Stacy Ford. He's preached here. In fact, pray for him. He is moving in to Arizona in January to plant a church in Chandler. So we're going to give you guys some updates more on that. But this wasn't his brightest moment. We were just done. This conference was called Kaleo, which means God's call on your life. And it really was instrumental in my own life as a, I'm not, I don't even know how old I was, whatever I was in 2009, I was really trying to seek God. What are you calling me to do in ministry? And so I actually uh, really found a lot of clarity on that trip in that conference. But then we were on our way home and my pastor mentor, Stacy, obviously had to go number two really, really bad because he was like, we will, whatever next gas station, we are going there. So we pulled up to this gas station and it's more like a trucker mall. Have you guys ever seen those? It's like this glorified mall, like, uh, like gross, like, I don't know. I it was just crazy. And so we went in there and as we were pulling, Pulling in, 
cops were leaving and you could see them. It looked like there was a Bronco that had drugs like even within the gas tank. And so they were tearing apart this Bronco and putting it all in the cop cars as they're heading out. And I'm thinking, what a great start, okay? And my youth pastor is just so hurting within the bowels of his system that I think he refused to think about, is this wise to bring the head pastor's son in this situation? He didn't care. He got fired later. I'm just kidding. He didn't get fired later. Um, but so we walk in and that was already sketchy. So we walk immediately into this trucker mall. And the first person I see was a bald man with devil horns tattooed on his head. Again, my youth pastor went right past it. And so I'm thinking, my goodness, I am from Queen Creek. I ain't never seen nothing like that, right? And so, um, like, I get scared just going to Phoenix Suns games, you know? Like, I don't know what is happening here. I will not take the light rail. You know, no, I've grown up. I had, to, I had to live in Riverside for four years. So, anyway, it's a little worse. So, so we walk in and still see that and so whatever. And so we go to the bathroom, and what cracks me up is just to the right of the bathroom was a massage parlor. And it just, it just had that vibe. You know what I'm saying? So, one of those massage parlors is what I figured out. And above it, this was two story. This was a huge mall, right? It was a chapel. So you go and you do something and then you go up and repent. I don't know. I, I think they were just make it all in one little setting and just so many things. It was probably the darkest time I've ever been a part of, like just so many bad things. And so I'm like, okay, well, he's clearly taking a long time in the restroom. So I went to the actual gas station park to grab like a payday or whatever. And I just felt this Holy Spirit moment. And it was like, get out. You guys ever had that? Not like lead somebody to Jesus. No, it's like you're going to meet Jesus soon if you don't get out of here. And so I did exactly that. I just was like, okay, God. I was so in tune with the Spirit. So I, I saw this guy. He had this big, huge jacket on. He was a smaller, slender guy, but the jacket was really huge, and it did not fit him. He kept giving me these weird looks. Remember, I was a junior in high school. I was jacked at this point, so I knew I was his biggest threat. And so, uh, right, babe, where are you? <laughs> so... We walk out. I walk out. I don't know where my youth pastor is, but I decide to go stand by the car. And the moment I walked out, I looked back and I saw the guy in the big jacket bring out this gun and he was uh, a holdup. And, uh, and so I said, praise the Lord. So I kept running to my car and I was fine. And then youth pastor is still drying off his hands from his moment with the Lord, I guess you could say. And he saw the holdup and he had to stay in there for a while. And it was this big scenario. Why do I share this story? I think a lot of us were looking about how Jesus says we are the light. And I think a lot of us, when we think of darkness, we think of that kind of scene. We think of the alleyways. We think of downtown, right? We think of these bad moments with a devil horns tattoo on your head. But I think it's helpful for us to realize that darkness is much more than just that. Especially here in our area, it is a, by God's grace, we live in a nice area where you can walk at most places at night and still feel pretty safe. But let me just tell you, that does not mean that there isn't darkness in our area. Amen? Darkness still reigns supreme around here, except us as the light of the Lord, as we're looking at this passage today, the darkness cannot overcome it. We are a light. We have to actually recognize what that fully means, that we can push back darkness in our own city. But it's important for us to first recognize that there is a lot of darkness in this city. This is point number one in understanding what darkness is. Darkness is both ill intent and ignorant. Most of us just think of ill intent. 
And the theological terms are the sin of commission and sin of omission. Whenever I ask somebody, do you believe you are a sinner? Most people think, yes, here's the bad things that I have done. That is sin of commission. That's ill intent. That is doing wrong, doing harm towards God or towards your neighbor or even towards yourself. But we have to recognize just as sinful is the sin of omission, not doing the right thing. So we have a lot of people in our city that is not worshiping God. And maybe we can claim, well, their sins aren't bad, they're nice people, but we have to see they are still in darkness because they are not living the purpose, passion, and reason to live that God has given them. You see that? We have people who are in darkness, and it and it's so hurtful that we don't recognize that they are in darkness. How can we bring people good news? about the light of Jesus, if we're not convinced that they are still in darkness. Look at Ephesians 5, 8 again. It says, for you were once darkness. I love that theologically because it means it's not like we just hung out in dark places at different times. Like your youth pastor was really stupid and brought you in the worst situation. What this is saying is more than just you're in darkness, you are darkness. We believe in that theology of that we have total depravity. There's nothing good in us besides when we believe in Jesus, then we are completely redeemed. But Paul is reminding them, you were once darkness. You were both ill intent and ignorant. But then he says, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. There's this theological term as well that I think we need to bring a comeback to. It's called conversion. Anybody ever heard of conversion? Too often we think, well, this person is kind of dark, but he's kind of turning into light. But we believe the gospel says there was one time when you were dark, when you believe in Jesus, confess his name, what happens? The light turns on, you are now a believer in Jesus. And that's something that I believe we should recover. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying here, is when we believe in Jesus, we are made new. There is no working up to the moment. There's no, okay, I'm like in between. I'm like gray, right? It's like kind of dim, but I'm turning. No, you are either dark or you are light. And that should give us a lot of hope and encouragement. But then he says, live, or some translations say, walk as children of light. I don't have as much time to explain this again, but a few weeks ago we talked about walk. It means everyone can somersault love, right? Everyone can act loving in different scenarios. But what he says is, no, when you live as children of light, when you walk as children of light, it is your natural inclination to do things that the light does. Question that we have, of course, is what does the light do? That's what the rest of this message is going to be about. Paul gives us these three different types of things. So let me remind you one more thing before we jump into it. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about Edwin Friedman's cycle of anxiety, right? We have to recognize that that cycle of anxiety is because people live in darkness. When you live in darkness, of course, all you do is react. Why? You don't know where you're going. You just react to whatever hits you. People that we minister, that we love to, that we talk to are in darkness. So, of course, all they do is react. We talked about last week, then they have the mob mentality. They shift the blame. They settle for a quick fix. Again, I don't want to re-preach the whole thing, but the point that we talked about last week is we have a culture of anxiety. And the number one thing we need to do is to be a non-anxious presence. Remember that? By being the light, that is how 
we can be that non-anxious presence. So that's what we're going to look at today for the remainder of our time. How are we light? How? Because it's not just, oh, we're just going to be light. Like, I love in this passage, there are tangible ways that we can understand how to be a non-anxious presence. This is the next point. God empowers us, according to this passage, God empowers us to walk with a non-anxious presence. I love this. Toward others, toward God, and toward ourselves. That's the thesis for this message today, I believe is the thesis for this passage. God, because we are now children of light, we are non-anxious towards others, towards God, and towards ourselves. Verse 9, um, reading it again, Ephesians 5, verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I think it's kind of interesting talking about how light has fruit. A lot of people reference this to Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit. We also have here the fruit of the light. And I love here that actually in this passage, we become light. So it's not just that Jesus shines on us, but he shines through us. And when that happens, we're able to be, the first thing is goodness. That's the next thing. What does God do? God gives us, the next point, the gift of goodness towards others. God gives us the gift of goodness for others. Now, Greek, I absolutely love it. Uh, this phrase, as I was remembering, there's a few things I remember about Greek class. It took it three years, so thankfully I remember at least a couple words. Now, this word good is all throughout the New Testament. It's, one of the it's actually one of the first phrases you learn when you're learning Greek because it occurs so often. But what you actually learn, there are two ways to say good. <laughs> this is going to be real good. Get it? Okay. This is going to be good. The first way is to say kalos. Say it with me. Kalos. Kalos. Okay? That means beautiful. Like, just really good, right? You see something from a distance, and it's kalos. Some architecture you see is kalos. It's just beautiful. It, it leads you, it, it's essentially saying it's especially outward value. It is outwardly gorgeous to look at. Paul does not use this phrase, kalos, when he talks about the fruit of the light. Instead, he uses this phrase, hagathos. Say it with me, hagathos. Who else hates when they make pastors repeat, say it with me, Hagathos. My wife's like, don't do that anymore. I just did it again. All right, Hagathos. What does Hagathos mean? Well, I think you can pick up. You guys are smart. So Kalos is outward beauty. Hagathos is inward beauty. Hagathos means you have character. Not just pretty on the outside, but you're also pretty on the inside. In an anxious culture, I think most of us are looking and settling for Kalos. We just want to outwardly seem like we're good. In an anxious culture, remember we talked about quick fix mentality. In an anxious culture, we settle. We say, okay, I, don't, I know it takes way too long to change my character, but what I need to do now is to at least look like I am good to the rest of the world. That's one of our core problems we have in society today. We settle for outward beauty rather than doing the hard work of inward beauty, of having that actual character. Well, what does that mean? Our anxious culture... Sure, we should have kalos. I want to make sure kalos doesn't mean bad. It still means good. But there is a deeper goodness that I believe Paul is calling us to. An anxious culture needs hagathos. Our anxious culture needs the more you get to know somebody, actually the more beautiful they become. Isn't that one of the biggest letdowns? Like you hear about a pastor, you listen to him online, you're so excited, and then you meet him in person and you're like, you're kind of a jerk. Don't say amen. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. 
like that's like a huge letdown. Like this guy will be my mentor, and you meet him, you're like, you're just kind of a tool, you know? You're kind of a, just a jerk. Um, what God is calling us to is not kalos. He's calling us to hagathos. Kalos again is a good reputation, but leaves room for disappointment the more you get to know them. Hagathos is so good that the more you get to know them, the more you feel loved and respected by them. And you feel love and respect for them. Okay, so for us to be the right light, we have to understand how, how do we do this? Notice how it says it is the fruit of the light is goodness. What does that mean? When we spend time with the Lord, when we do the practices of Jesus that we're constantly bringing forth as a church, naturally what happens, remember walk, live, you will begin to breathe goodness for others. Now, I do think this does take intentionality on our part. How can I be good to my neighbor? Of course. But we have to recognize the source, the power comes from the light himself, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? You guys with me? So, so with light, we are supposed to be a light to others through our goodness. In other words, again, the title of this message today is The Right Light. What this means for us in application, this means we are not a spotlight. Meaning, it is not our call to serve people by putting the spotlight on us. That is the wrong light. Goodness cares more about somebody else than themselves. Okay, a spotlight church is only concerned with kalos, making sure everybody look at me, I'm so beautiful, now you want to be a part of me. A hagathos church says, no, 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 I'm going to use God's light and serve and love other people. I wrote this down, you, you feel free to write it down or just whatever, go fly a kite. A spotlight church serves for a piece of publicity. A God's light church serves for the peace of the city. I'm going to say it one more time. A spotlight church, a kalos church, one who has not allowed the light of God to come in and through us, a spotlight church only serves for publicity. But a God's light church serves for the city, for the peace of the city. Hope you guys see that. So God hasn't called us to be a spotlight. It's not about us. It's actually about serving others. But then he goes on and say, okay, uh, verse 9 again, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness. But then he says righteousness. So that's my next point. God gives us the gift of righteousness with God. Oftentimes, this biblical term righteousness is referring, of course, to our interactions with others and ourselves. But, but at its core, why do we need righteousness is so that we can interact rightly with God, right? We see in Genesis chapter 3, we have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we don't have that communion with him because of our sin. The beautiful news is Jesus came to restore that. He's given us his righteousness in our place so that we can actually be right with God. Another way uh, that Tim Keller always talks about righteousness means to be made right. But another way to look at it is to define it is righteousness means you are presentable to God. So you're not just legally like right, but like you feel like you are now presentable. One, of my, one thing my wife hates is when we're driving in the car to go somewhere and she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't put makeup on. Why didn't you tell me that I forgot to put makeup on? Like, Babe, you're just so beautiful inside and out. You know, I love when you draw makeup. She goes, at least eyeliner. I just need to put eyeliner on. I'm like, I don't, I don't even notice. I mean, I notice. I don't notice. I don't know the right answer to that. This is a trick, isn't it? Right? But it's to be made presentable. It's this confidence. One of the biggest burdens I have in ministry is so many people, when they talk about God and you claim that you're a follower of Jesus, you feel like there's still that separation and you feel like you can't give him 
all of your worries. You feel like you have to hide your sin from him. When we're in the light, we are able to have that freedom where we can show God all that we are and we still know that we are presentable to him. See, the culture that we want in our church, and I believe that Paul is, is, is looking at here, we don't avoid sin and fear of leaving the Father's house. We avoid sin and fear of grieving the Father's heart. That's the motivation. We, we know God sees all that we are. We're not trying to hide it. We just don't want to hurt his heart, but we know God won't kick us out. So I was reading this week, St. Bernard, not the dog, um, but St. Bernard of Clairvaux, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, he talks about how there's four degrees of love. He, he, he lived in the 1100s, and, um, and I think this is really helpful in understanding the more we are in the light, right, the more we spend time with the Lord, we're able to fully see, get a better and better picture of how we are presentable to God and how we are right with God and how we can love Him. He talks about the four degrees of love. Number one, I think you'll recognize this in your own life. You first begin loving by loving oneself for one's own sake. So your whole life, and this is most culture and society is here, you're focused on developing your own self-esteem. You want to be made presentable to yourself and to others. That is what you're most focused on. You want to be presentable. You haven't really thought about how this applies with you and God. It's only between yourself. I want to feel like I'm presentable in my own self. And that's not wrong, but it's not the full picture. Number two, the next step, the next degree of love that St. Bernard, not the dog, says that we progress to is loving God for one's own sake. A lot of times we come to Jesus, not necessarily because we love God, but we recognize I'm coming to you, God, because I need to change my life. I need to see, God, what you can do for me. That's why, and you're in that stage of Christianity, that's okay. We're going to keep helping you grow, but you're the part where you're in the back and you look at like, um, you know, the index where uh, God's love. And so you look up all those little verses, how God loves you, and then you feel better about yourself, right? And you you move on with your day. You're always looking for an encouragement from the text, which is great. But God actually has called us to something more. The next stage of the love of God, that St. Bernard, not the dog. That's his full name, guys. St. Bernard, not the dog. Okay, the next degree is the love of God for God's sake. We find joy in not worrying about being presentable or not because we just want to be with God. We recognize God is everything. I'm going to follow you, God, for your name and for your glory. But the fourth degree, I think a lot of us miss out on, is loving oneself for God's sake. Recognizing I don't need to ignore myself. I don't need to hate myself, but I recognize who I am and I am presentable to God. And I have this righteousness that gives me confidence, not to throw my body away, but to recognize, God, this is who I am and I enjoy it for the first time and I'm going to use it for your glory. Those are the four degrees of love. I believe that's what God has called us to here. He says, when you're in the light, You are given this gift of righteousness and your whole life is recognizing more and more what that actually means, being presentable to God. In other words, the right light isn't a black light. Anybody ever gotten black lighting? Is that what they call it? Black lighting? Come on, I know the Smiths have right here, right? You know where you go for scorpion scorpion hunting? Okay, and so if you're from Queen Creek and you haven't done black lighting, which is not what it's called, you're not from Queen Creek, okay? And so you turn on the black light and you look for scorpions, right? This is such a fun game um, that I've never played. I'm just kidding. I've done it a couple times and I'm like, there's more fun things to do, okay? Uh, but you go black lighting. It is pretty interesting. Like, wow, I never knew that there's sort of that many scorpions. It'll, re- it'll really freak you out. Um, and so 
a lot of us, when we think about our relationship with God, it's, oh, I'm coming to the Bible so that God can turn on the black light and just expose all the wrong things about me. Well, of course, we are a church that believes we are sinners and we need to confess it. Jesus exposes us, of course. But it's not just for the sake of exposing. It's always for something better. A black light exposes in order to exploit, but God's light reveals in order to heal. It's so essential for us to get that. Righteousness is a good, good thing. Not something that you have to feel terrible about. I got to keep moving. Okay, the last thing in verse 9, the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. A lot of commentators believe, again, the goodness was about how you display the light to others. Righteousness is how you walk in light with God. And truth is how you actually walk in light with yourself. God gives us the gift of truth toward ourselves. So many of us struggle, right, of... Oh, I don't, you're always kind of living a duplicitous life. And, and what God has called us to do is God actually says we can live with integrity. What you see is what you get. And in an anxious world, we must remember that peace doesn't come from an interesting life. Peace comes from an integrated life. And when we have the truth, we don't have to deny or lie about who we really are. Eugene Peterson put it this way. He says, immaturity is noisy with anxiety-fueled self-importance. Maturity is quite content to pursue a life of obedient humility. This gift of truth is knowing you don't have to fake it to make it. And that gives you confidence. That can give you a non-anxious presence within yourself. What does darkness do? Darkness deceives in order to gain applause. Enneagram nerd real quick, if you are a three, this is what you do, right? You always love to deceive, or even the next point, darkness exaggerates in order to get attention. There's this is crazy thing in hunting. You can actually say how big it actually is and not fake it, right? But we oh, it was huge, man. Like even me and my dad's stories. I'm like, this bear gets bigger and bigger every single year. I'm so glad it's not on the wall because then they'll be able to prove it otherwise, right? Praise God that there was no photos back then, right? Darkness doesn't love to live in the truth. Darkness omits the truth in order to gain control. So Paul's saying, we don't live that life anymore. We're in the light. We don't hide anything. What you see is what you get. And there is something I think a lot of us don't recognize. We're struggling with anxiety. We're struggling with depression. I think a big part of it is because we are not truthful with ourselves. And we are freaking out because we are trying to project an image so that other people love us. And the beautiful truth is... Jesus loves you just the way you are. Amen? But he loves you too much to keep you that way. Darkness belittles the truth in order to save your reputation. This is a problem in the church today. If we say we are a God-light church, that means it is not a dim light. So we're not a spotlight. It's not about us. Go look at me. No, it's about serving others. We're not a black light. We're only come here to feel bad and find all the scorpions in your life. And we're also not a dim light. This is my good side. Just put it over here and the shadows over there and everything will be better. Right? Eight. It really is my good. I really do believe that. <laughs> anyway, that's why the camp. I'm just kidding. I've gone too far. Now, a dim light hides the immorality of church leadership because of their talent. 
But God's light exposes immorality of church leadership because of the truth. It damages our witness. It shows that we are not a light. If we are willing to hide and dim and not show the full picture of people's character because they're just so talented at what they do, we need to be willing to expose because God's light is our foundation. God's light is our power, and God will provide somebody else, right? We must expose. At our church, we want to be people that are above reproach. And if, you're, if you are a, like a lady struggling with we're going to defend you. We're not going to say, oh, he's just a, just submit and obey. Let, let's figure this out, right? Like we are a, not a dim light church. We are a God's light church. And we believe the truth is always the thing that sets you free. And we cannot be a church that hides it in order to save our reputation. Because we know long, there's a bad thing on the news this week of a Christian public figure that kept hiding kept dimming. Yes, that's a story, but let's not make a big deal. And finally, it was all refilled. I believe by God's grace, but that guy's life's not doing too well right now, right? God's light exposes the truth in order to heal us, though. Look at verse 11, and we're done. You guys with me today? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. I love that, by the way. I still believe in the context here. It's not saying we're a black light church. He's still saying, if you read the whole context, remember Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, God's a God of love, but we must expose the darkness in order to heal. We need to reveal in order to heal. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. I love this next part. Therefore, it is said, Get up. Some of your translations, I actually like this other translation better. Wake up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the last point. It is the life and lifestyle of Jesus that brings us the presence and power of God. What we need the most to be a non-anxious presence is to have God's presence. And the whole point of this passage, even starting in verse 1, when we pursue the life and lifestyle of Jesus, when we not only receive his life that he gives us on the cross and the resurrection, believe that he is the one who saved us, but also live his lifestyle. Walk in love, walk in light, be good to others, be truthful with others, be righteous. Right? When we do all these things that we talk about every week, that enables us to continue to be in the presence and power of God. But I love how verse 14, it says, wake up, O sleeper. Now, a lot of people, this actually isn't, he's not quoting scripture here. Most people believe he's quoting a hymn. Now, the cool part about this, not just any hymn, a baptismal hymn. So as a song, I think we should do that, Caleb. An actual song where when there is a baptism, they sing that song. So when we read this, so many people, when they read their Bibles, they go, you guys ever do this? Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead. Christ will shine on you. That was, thank you, God, for that. Now, I don't think that's what, I don't know how you are with your alarm, right? I don't know how you want to get woken up. Like, I'm that guy that's just blasting music right away. And I know it puts some of you in a bad mood for me. It's like, yes, let's start the day. Like, I grew up, my mother, I don't want to tell you how long it, okay, I will. She woke me up every day till I was like 16, okay? It was just part of being in, just blame my mother, not me. And what I loved about my mom is she didn't say, she didn't open the door and go, get up, right? 
You guys have those, those parents? Just get up. No, she would, you can hear her start snapping before she even got through the door. And Shay knows this. She, there's a song. I'm not gonna sing the whole song, but it's like, wake up, wake up, you little sleepy. Okay, and so it was this whole thing and she turned on the light and she would like, come on, get out of bed. Like that's literally how I started every day. Get out of bed. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm out. And I think Paul here, the sentiment is, wake up, wake up, you little sleepy, get your little out of bed, right? That's what Paul is doing because he's saying, it is Christ's light that shines on you. It's not this dim light. It's not a black light. It's not a spotlight. We're like, what is happening here, right? Can you imagine? That's what we're going to do, darling, this week. Just spotlight them to wake, wake up, you know? No, but Paul is speaking here in power. It's when the baptism is happening, and we're like, he's up. He was once dead, but now he's alive, and everybody's all jacked and excited. And I believe this is what Paul is saying here. And we don't know the full hymn of the song, but I'm going to make it up right now, right? He says, wake up. Jesus is the light that made a way for God's people to escape the oppression and darkness of Egypt. Wake up. Right? Jesus is the light that empowered God's people to not only survive Babylonian activity, captivity, but to thrive and to love and serve their enemies. Wake up! Jesus is that light that we read in the Old Testament that shined brighter than the fire of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I thought we threw three people in there. One, two, three, four? Who's the fourth? Jesus, because he's the light that shined brighter than the fire. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got out, nothing touched them. There wasn't even, a, it, it, their hair was perfect still. Because Jesus is that light. Wake up to the reality. Jesus is the light. Wake up. He's the one who moved into our neighborhood and shined so brightly. John 1 says that even the darkness couldn't put it out. Wake up. Jesus is the light that is generous with his goodness. Wake up. Jesus is the light that the more we get to know him, the more we are pleased and love him and respect him and love him and adore him. Wake up. Jesus is the light that is generous with his righteousness, not only on the cross and resurrection, taking us out of the darkness, but also making us presentable with God. Wake up. Don't miss out on the fact that Jesus is the light that empowers us with the truth. Jesus is the light. John 8, Jesus says, I am what? The light of the world. And if you're with me, you will never walk in darkness again. And in that same chapter, he says, you shall know the truth and what? It is the truth that will set you free. Jesus is that light. Wake up. Wake up. Jesus is the light that made a way when there was no way. Wake up. Jesus was the light that broke the curse that was on your family to the fourth generation. And he broke that curse in the name of Jesus and he pierced the darkness. Wake up. Jesus is the light that pierced the darkness when he rose again on the third day. May we be a church that wakes up 
and sees that Jesus is the light and he has offered us to receive that light. But as we see, not only that, but we then live in the fruit of the light of being so good and so loving and caring to our community that the more they get to know us, the more they love us. That that light has given us this righteousness with God. That the more we get to know Him, the more we reveal everything to Him and trust Him. And we can ask God of things with confidence because we know we are His child. Wake up to what you have in Christ. That you have the truth. And only in the gospel can you be truly known and yet truly loved. There is no hiding There's no dimming. We are loved because of who we are. What you see is what we get. And we don't have to make up anything. We get to walk in that light and that confidence. Wake up. Jesus is the light.